You are listening to the City on a Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information about our church and to support this ministry, visit cityonahilldfw.com. Thank you. He walks, he talks, he crawls on his belly like a snake. I don't get to do this that often, so whenever they ask me to preach, I'm going to sing too. How about that? When I'm on the road teaching around the country, I always sing before I teach. And the reason I do that is because I say, you know, if you're a preacher, when people find out you're a preacher, they have certain expectations you're supposed to meet about how you look. But if you're a musician, you look any way you want to. And so I don't want anybody judging me for how I look, so I just tell them I'm a musician that happens to be here to teach and to preach. Now, I have a question for you this morning real quick. Uh, We've got some house cleaning to do here. Which one of you guys lost your little necklace? It was out in the foyer. I can't wear it. Otherwise, I would. It would be a choker on me. So anyway, if if somebody shows up that that lost a, a necklace, then there you go. We've got it. Last Friday night, I went out to Granbury, and it's nice when I don't have to get on a plane and fly to California or Baltimore or something like I've done already this spring or this, what is it, is it spring out? Yeah, it's already this spring. Hey, I love retirement, you know? I get up in the morning thinking about my nap. <laughs> you can do that. And I'm going to enjoy my nap this afternoon because, man, after preaching twice, I ain't got a whole lot left. And so uh, uh, if I doze off a little bit, then that's Okay. Uh, but anyway, I went to Granbury Friday night to, uh, I was invited to do a Fearless Series for Men uh, uh, event. Uh, we have completed all of the videos for the Fearless Series of Men. Uh, and for men, it is incredible. Um, it really is. And uh, we're working on getting the website up and running. But what I did with the men, there were five churches that were represented uh, Wednesday night or Friday night. And uh, what I did is what I typically do with women's groups is I talked for just a little while, giving them statistics about sexual abuse and about trauma and that kind of thing. And then I showed the first video of the men's series. It's about 30 minutes long. And on that first video is where Max Lucado tells his story of childhood sexual abuse when he was 12 years old. And after that video was over with, we just did question and answer. And it was amazing. We could have been there until midnight. We really could have. We had about an hour and a half of discussion, men just sharing their stories, and some of them had never even talked about those things before in their life. And, and the commitment was for those five churches that we're going to take Granbury by storm. We're going to take men in Granbury by storm with the Fearless Series for Men. Now, I believe they're going to do that because the women have already been doing it. I was invited out to Granbury last year for an event, a Fearless Series for Women's uh, event, and there were five or six churches that were involved in that, and they have already run the Spirit of Series for Women three times in the Granbury community, those five different churches, and they're exp- expanding it out to other churches. It's just an incredible honor to be a part of something like that, and I'm so thankful that in God's timing, uh, you know, he raised up Derek uh, to take my place here, and so that I can be released to spend the rest of my days, however many of those are carrying the message of help, hope, and healing for people who have been traumatized, whether it's sexual traumatization as a child, whether it's emotional, whether it's physical, doesn't matter what it is, but for God's people to get healing, this inner healing, so they can be released in the sanctification process uh, by the Lord Jesus. Now, I am very aware that there is a very thin line 
between, um, <laughs> between preaching uh, a, a long sermon and a hostage situation. So I'm going to do my best to not be accused of holding you hostage this morning. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 John, over in the way in the right side of your, church, uh, your, your Bible, 1 John chapter 2. And then I want you also, after you find that, to find the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, chapter 15. Derek has been teaching on Sunday mornings. He's been doing an incredible job teaching through the book of 1 John. I remember when I was in college, uh, on, on the, one of the floors of one of the dormitories, they only had bathrooms down at the end of the, they had bathrooms, you know, community bathrooms for everybody on that floor. And there were only three toilet stalls in the, uh, in, on that floor. And so some theologue had written 1 John, 2 John, 3 John on the, uh, on the doors of the stall. So every time I think about 1 John, I go back to college 50-something years ago and remember that. Anyway, wow, who is that guy? Woo, Derek told me it was kind of weird. Uh, Wow, I kind of like that. Well, put some screens back there. I, I like me some me. <laughs> not really. I better hurry up or I'm not going to get through this. Anyway, Derek has been, an incredible, been doing an incredible job teaching verse by verse through 1 John. And last week, he was in chapter 2, um, in the first part of chapter 2, and I was perhaps going to finish out this morning, and that's what I'm going to do, the rest of chapter 2. And then we're going to go to John 15, because these two texts are actually... Connected. That passage that Derek taught last week is a very, very tough passage. And Derek did a remarkable job in exegeting and exposing it. But what was happening, if you weren't here last week, what happened was that the letter to whom, the Christians to whom Paul, John was writing this letter, there had been some in their midst that had abandoned them and who had left. And, and by saying that, I don't mean that they had gone to another church, they had abandoned the faith, okay? They had abandoned the faith. They, in fact, many of them were beginning to teach false doctrine, and John calls them out for that in that text. And the question here for these Christians was, what does it mean? What does it mean when they go away from us? And so John answers that question in chapter 2, verse 19. He said, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they are not all of us. Now, you, you get that, right? Okay, he's saying if they had been of us, they would have stayed with us, but they went out so it would be proven and shown that they were not of us. Now, when John's talking about that, he's not talking about somebody getting their underwear all wadded up at the preacher and going to another church because there wasn't another church. In the first century communities, uh, there were not that many Christians. So when a church started in a, a city, it was the only church. And so you didn't have another church that you could go to. They didn't get mad about the music or they didn't get mad about the color of the carpet. No, what they did is they abandoned the faith. They went away and these Christians are confused by that. What does that mean? And John is saying by their going away, by their not remaining with us, they are proving that they were never of us. And so... John then addresses some of the heresy that they were beginning to teach. And it was all centered in the character of Christ. Virtually all heresy, folks, ultimately comes down to what does someone believe about the nature of Christ? In other words, you can't say that Jesus was just a good man and be a Christian. 
He was much more. You can't say that Jesus was just a good teacher and be a Christian. You can't say that Jesus was not God incarnate and be a Christian. You can't say that Jesus is not the only way to the Father and be a Christian. So all of this stuff is a part of the nature and the character of Christ. And so what John does is he explains to these confused believers that these people who abandoned them and thus abandoned were never Christians to begin with because if they had been, they would have remained with us. And he says the fact that they didn't remain shows us that they were never with us. Now that brings us to an important word in the second chapter of 1 John that I want to refer to and then we're going to spend the rest of our time in the Gospel of John chapter 15. It is the word remain. That word is translated from a Greek word, a Greek verb, minno, not M-I-N-N-O, but minno, okay? And it appears six times in the second chapter of 1 John. And in verses 18 through 23, the translators have translated it remain. John said, if they were of us, they would have remained with us. But when he comes to verse 24 through 28, the translators translate it as abide. It's the same Greek word, not a different word, because it means to abide or to remain. Did you get all that? Are you with me on that? Okay. So what John has been saying in the earlier verses is, if they were truly saved, then they would have abided with us. They would have remained with us. And then in verse 25, then he turns and he starts talking to these who did remain, the true believers, who are abiding. And this is what he says. He says, but this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Now, let me ask you a question. Does God keep his promises? What, is, what does John say that God has promised to those who are in Christ? Eternal life. Eternal life. God makes a promise. He's going to keep his promise. And so he said, look, they proved they didn't have eternal life, but those who abide, the Father has promised us eternal life. And then in verse 26, and he says, and by the way, his anointing is abiding in you. You could translate remaining in you. It abides in you. They didn't abide with us because he did not abide in them. And so therefore they didn't abide in you. But the father has given you this promise of eternal life and his anointing continues to abide in you. Did you follow all that? So this term abiding is so incredibly important in John's theology. And in, in his writing, both in the Gospel of John and in this epistle, 1 John, that he wrote to a Christian community. And where did he get that from? Why does he talk about this whole abiding thing? He got it from Jesus. You see, John was one of the original 12 that walked with Jesus. For three years, he was taught with Jesus and, and with Jesus. And, and the idea of abiding didn't start with John, but it started with Jesus and John recorded that whole dialogue, if you will, that Jesus had with his disciples one time in the 15th chapter of his gospel. So go to John chapter 15. Now, we're taking out of 1 John this concept of abiding, and we're going to find out, well, what does the scripture say it means? What does it, if that word is so important, what does it mean to abide? Well, John chapter 15, Jesus told them that those who are genuine, hang on here, those who are genuine disciples of mine will abide. And those who abide will bear fruit. 
Okay? So those who are genuinely mine will abide in me and they will bear fruit. Now, I want you to, I want to set the context for you for a moment of John 15 because it's similar to the context of 1 John chapter 2 of some people who went away. Well, that sets up the context of the 15th chapter when Jesus starts talking about abiding. If you go all the way back to John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. You remember that, the incredible thing that Jesus does to demonstrate his deity. He's been teaching the people all day. At the end of the day, the people are hungry. And Jesus takes a few loaves and fishes and prays over them and multiplies them. And everybody is fed. What a miracle. These people were hungry. Okay? And a bunch of them started following him. Of that 5,000, who knows how many? It doesn't really tell us. It's this great multitude. We're following Jesus. And they, they followed Jesus because they liked the bread. They liked the goodies, you know, that Jesus had to give. And, and so they're following along, and Jesus is doing some other miracles. And, and after a while, eventually, at the end of chapter 6 of John's gospel, Jesus turns to them, and he said, let me tell you what it means to be mine. Let me tell you what it really means to be my disciple and he delivers some demands of discipleship that even his 12 disciples said man these are hard words and it says that after that in verse 66 after that many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him now don't let that word disciple confuse you in the greek text it's the greek word mathetes which simply means a follower Sometimes it is used in the New Testament of genuine followers like the 12 disciples. Sometimes it just means with people that attach themselves to Jesus and followed him for a while. Okay, it's just that word that would be used. And so why were they following him from chapter 6? They were following him because of the goodies, man. He, this guy's giving free bread. This guy's doing, he's healing the sick. He, you know, he's, he's healing the blind. So let's attach to him. But when Jesus turns to them and begins to deliver demands of discipleship, what it's going to cost them to follow him Verse 67 says, or verse 66 says, and many of them were following him no more. So in that setting and in that second, it's very dramatic. You can almost feel it. As they're going away, Jesus turns to the 12. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the 12 who were with him and who are going to become the 12 apostles after the crucifixion and resurrection. And he asks this question. He says, do you want to go away as well? Look at them. They're not following anymore. Are you going to do what they do? Do you want to go away as well? And Peter responds in verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I love that. They said, Jesus, even if we wanted to go away, where in the world are we going to go? You alone have the words of life. We know who you are. No, Jesus, we will not go away like them. We will abide with you. In other words, true abiders don't leave. In fact, I have known Christ now. I was saved in 1972 in my 18th year. I've known the Lord Jesus as Savior, saved right off the streets. 51 years ago, there's never been a moment in my life that I wanted to turn away from him. There have been plenty of moments when I struggled. There have been lots of moments when I questioned things about me and even maybe sometimes questioned some understanding of Scripture. But there was never a time that I said, you know what, I think I'll just go away. I think I'll just leave. Times I wanted to go away from me. And a lot of other people had those times too. 
not talking about going away from you, going away from me. But I never wanted to go away from Jesus. And that's what Peter's saying. Where are we going to go, Lord? There's nowhere else. Once we've tasted of you, we could not go away. So with that context, people are coming and people are going in Jesus' ministry. He comes to John chapter 15, and he begins to give the seminal treatise on abiding. And the difference between those who follow and stay and those who follow and then leave. Those who abide and those who do not abide. And John, Jesus gives his metaphor or illustration that he's going to use to teach this truth. And it's a wonderful metaphor. He says, I am the true vine and you are the branches. Very simple. An agricultural illustration that any of them could understand. They understood the relationship of the vine and the branch, even though many of us in our modern culture do not. So Jesus' application was very, very common in his day. He said, I am the true vine and you are the branches. And then what he does is he begins to give principles about abiding. What does it mean to abide? What does it look like when someone is abiding in when a branch is abiding in the vine. Let me do it very quickly. There's more to this text. I don't have time to cover it all. But I want to give you four principles of proof of those who are abiding and those who are not. First of all, there is the principle of position. In verse 1, he says, I am the true vine. Now, what does that assume? If there's a true vine, what does that assume? There's some false vines out there, right? And Jesus said, look, I'm not one of those vines. I am the true vine. Now that is important because the life, and here's part of the agricultural illustration, the life is totally in the vine. The branch has no life in and of itself. All of the life that starts in the roots and comes up, it comes up through the vine. So whoever is not in the vine will not bear fruit. But when that branch is attached to the vine, what happens is the life of that vine begins to flow into the branch and produce fruit. And we'll talk about that more in a little bit. So the first principle is, folks, we've got to all figure out which branch or which vine are you attached to? There is Jesus, the true vine, and then there are all kinds of false vines that are out there. And you go, well, what makes the difference? Well, I'll tell you the difference between the true vine and the false vine. False vines make promises they cannot keep because they do not have anything to give. False vines will promise you what they cannot produce. Now, all vines make promises, don't they? I mean, we're carrying the metaphor here. The true vine, Jesus has made promises to us, hadn't he? The promise of eternal life, all of these things. Well, the false vines come along because they want you to attach to their vine and they're going to make promises to you. But the problem is only the true vine can fulfill his promises. These cannot. So there's the vine of success. You can attach yourself to that. It promises you meaning. There's the vine of material things, chasing after more stuff, more stuff. There's the, it promises fulfillment. Ultimately, though, what is it about? Ultimately, it is about life. Branches attach themselves to a vine because they become convinced that that vine can give them really full life to its fullest extent. And so all vines make those promises. 
But those false vines are making a promise to you that they cannot produce. And the reason they can't is because they don't have life. They have no life to instill into you when you attach them. Now, they don't tell you that. I mean, you know, no false vine says, let's say the false vine of materialism. It doesn't come along and say, hey, attach yourself to me. I'll bring you death. Uh, who wants that one? The false vine doesn't come along and say, attach to me, branch. I'll deceive you and then I'll destroy you. No, they all say, come live your best life right now. And I got it to offer. Be my branch and you're going to have a good time and you're going to get real life. I love Jesus' discussion of the broad and the narrow way in Matthew chapter 7. He says that you should enter in through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is wide, it's broad, that leads to destruction. And there are many who will enter it. But the gate is small and the way, the road is narrow that leads to life and there are few who find it. You see, I always like, I don't know, because I've got a weird mind, but I like to envision, you got genuine Christ followers, they're on the narrow way. They're driving along in their Volkswagen. And then you got the Broadway over here and they got the convertible top down. The hair is blowing in the breeze. The music's playing. They're smoking a joint. We are having a good time, aren't we? High-fiving each other. But Jesus says, but the, at the end of that road, let me tell you what there is. Death and destruction. That's all there is on that broad path. So enter into the narrow gate, which is him. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. And ride the narrow path, which leads you to life. You know, there's a truth. In over 40-something, I was figuring it up. I was on a church staff one year after I got saved. I was 19 years old. I'm 69, so over 50 years of ministry. 44 of it was as a senior pastor. Now, think about this. In all of those years, I never heard one person on their deathbed regret following Jesus. I've done more funerals than I like to remember. I've, visited, I've been in rooms with people as they gave their last breath, spoke their last sentences with families. I never in one time ever said somebody, say, I feel I wasted my life following Jesus. But I've heard hundreds of people bemoan the fact that they had attached to a false vine in their life. And now at the end of it, sometimes they even repent of it by the grace of God, like the thief on the cross, they're welcomed into the kingdom of God. So the principle of priority, folks, you've got to figure this out. Which vine are you going to attach to? Are you going to attach to the true vine that has life to give or false vines? The second one is the principle of purpose. In verse 5, Jesus says it again, I am the true vine. But this time he goes on and says, and you are the branches. Now get that. I'm the vine and you are the branches. Now repeat with me, boys and girls. I am the vine and you are the branches. Now I'm not saying you boys and girls. I think Jesus felt like the disciples sometimes were like boys and girls. Now repeat after me. I'm the vine and you are the branches. And drew this little picture, you know, on the whiteboard, you know, vines and branches. So y'all got that, okay? Y'all got that, all right. What is Jesus doing? He's reminding them of job descriptions. It's about job descriptions. The vine and the branch have different job descriptions. The vine's job description is to give life because the life is in the vine. 
Who does the vine give life to? It gives life to the branch. Its life flows into the branch because you see the life, the branch has no life in and of itself. All of the life is in the vine. That's why attaching yourself to false vines brings no life because they have no life to give. Only the true vine, which is Jesus, has life to give. So the vine's job description is to give life. The branch's job description is to reflect the life of the vine and to display the life of the vine in the fruit. Are you with me? Okay, I need, I need to shake your little heads. You can't take your afternoon nap yet. I don't get to till later, so you don't either. Now get this. When Jesus gives us his life, it's still his life. It's not yours. It's not mine. When the vine gives his life to the branch, it's still the vine's life. It is not the branch's. It's his life, listen, being lived through the branch. And that life, whether it is there or not, is reflected in the fruit that the branch bears. Are you with me? If his life is being lived through the branch, then that life will be reflected in fruit being born on the branch. You say, well, okay, now what is this fruit you're talking about? Here it is. Hang on here, folks. This is so important because we've messed this up real bad. What is this fruit? It is the image of the vine. I have had people ask me for decades and decades, what is God up to in my life? And I will always answer only one thing. Only one thing. There is only one thing that God is interested in your life and mine. Now, that's an overstatement because he is interested in other things. But all of those flow out of the one central thing that he is accomplishing and that he is interested in. It's like curly in city slickers. Only one thing. Did I say shitty slickers? I may have. We're going to have to go back and do some editing. I thought it was a pretty good movie. I didn't think it was that. Anyway, like Curly, he says there's only one thing. Now, you know what that is? To conform us. Come on now, you got to come back. Because this is serious stuff. To conform us to the image of his son, Jesus. That's all he's interested in, in you and I. Everything else is smoke and mirrors, folks. And let me explain to you why that is true. Because in creation, all of creation is presented as being created perfect because he is a perfect God. And we were perfectly created in what? In the image of God. Now, whatever that means, and it means a whole lot of stuff, it means that image was perfect. He created us perfectly in his image. When sin entered in, that image was not destroyed, but it was severely marred. It was wounded big time, right? It was distorted. So everything God has been about in human history since the fall of creation is to restore all of creation to its original intended purpose, which is perfection. 
Now, as it relates to us, what God is doing, he's calling unto himself a people where he is going to begin that renewing of the image process right here in this life. Did you get that? Okay, he's starting that process. And you know what? He promises us, if you're a Christ follower, if you're a branch abiding in the true vine, you will be perfectly like Jesus. Just not here and now. That's the bad news. When's it going to happen? Well, 1 John chapter 2 says, we know that we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is when he comes again. So everything God is about right now is preparing us for that complete translation when we come to Christ. Now, let's, let's go to text here because I think a lot of times we like verse 28. We just don't read on and read verse 29. Romans verse, chapter 8, verse 28 and 29 says, and we know, and God's, I mean, Paul's saying, no, we don't, Think. We know. What do we know? That God causes all things to work together for good. To whom? To those who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, wait a minute. You mean we have the promise from him that he's going to take all things in our lives and work it together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose? Yes, that's what he says. And then he, verse 29 he, de he defines that. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God says all who are true branches abiding in the true vine are going to be restored to the perfection of pre-fall creation. Isn't that good? Now what now... The fruit that we bear now, which is the part, the image of Christ that is be, being formed in us now, and that transformation that is happening in Christ's followers now is simply proof that that fulfillment is going to come to you. And those who are not being transformed, who do not have fruit of the image of Christ being revealed in their branches, will not have that fulfillment because they do not have the life of the vine. They're not abiding in the vine. And so John says, beloved, we are children now. We know that we're God's children right now. And what we're going to will be has not yet appeared. What did you say? What we are going to be has not yet appeared. Okay. But we know that when he appears, oh, there it is. That's what we're waiting for. We shall be what? Like him. Because we shall see him as he really is. Do you get it? So the, the whole idea of abiding now is so that the life of the vine is moving through the branches and is producing the fruit, which is the transformation process of being molded and made into the image of Jesus, which someday is going to be completely perfected when Jesus comes for his people. Can I get an amen? Yes. Now, in John chapter 15, Jesus gives that very same promise that 1 John says. Verse 5, he says, I'm the vine. You're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Now, wait a minute. He didn't say, if you abide in me, you might bear some fruit. He didn't say, you could bear some fruit. There's a chance you bear fruit. He says, he who abides in me will bear much fruit. The fruit is the life of the vine. Because if you're abiding in me, I'm going to transform you. My life is going to begin to flow in you and it's going to be revealed 
in this fruit of transformation as you are being conformed into my image. And I know every one of us sits there and hears that and says, well, it sucks to be me because I'm a pretty poor representation of the image of Jesus. Well, we all are. We all struggle. We struggle with sin. We struggle with the, with the flesh. We struggle with living in a fallen world. None of us are perfect, and we're not going to be until glory. But the question is, here it is, is reflecting the character of Jesus even on your radar screen? I mean, you go, wow, that's the first time I thought about that. Well, you're probably not a branch. Or you're a branch, you're just attached to the wrong vine. I mean, really, is it even in your thinking? Is it even in your priority scheme? Does it even appear on your radar anywhere? That, is it even in your heart anywhere? Are you just doing religious stuff? So there's a principle of position. You got to know, am I attached to the true vine? Then there is the principle of purpose. Well, what's the vine's purpose? If I'm attached to the vine, he wants me to look like Jesus. He wants to conform me to the image of Jesus. He wants to show the fruit of the character of Jesus on my branch. The third, we've got 11 minutes, probably can't do it, but we'll try. Is the principle of production. When we talk about bearing fruit, branches have questions, don't they? Inquiring branches want to know. Just like inquiring people want to know. And here's the question that branches have. Okay, how do I produce this fruit? If I was supposed to have fruit, how do I produce this fruit? Remember job descriptions, folks? That ain't your job. It ain't your job to produce fruit. That's the vine's job. That's not your job. So that's the wrong question to ask, how do I produce this fruit? Only the vine can produce the fruit. When the branch tries to produce fruit, bad things happen. You know what? Bad things always happen. In verse 4, Jesus says, As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine... So neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, to bear fruit doesn't mean to produce fruit. It means to display it. We're nothing but grape racks. To display Jesus' fruit of his life. Notice he doesn't say you can produce fruit. You might. That's the vine's job. Jesus says you cannot, bear, you cannot make this fruit happen. And then he goes on verse 5 and he says, For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you're not attached to the true vine and the life of the vine is flowing into you, try as you might. White knuckle it all you want. There ain't going to be any fruit hanging off your branch. Because you don't have life of your own. All you have is the life of the vine. Now folks, what this is? And you, many of you in the recovery world appreciate this is another expression of the first step of the 12 steps. Admitted we were powerless. See, what branches have to come to the point is saying, you know what, I am powerless to produce fruit. It's not possible, I cannot produce fruit. How many addicts tried to get sober for years and years and years and never could stay sober until they actually did the first step and gave up and said, you know what, I can't be sober. I don't have it within me. It's going to have to come from someone else. 
The branch quit trying to produce fruit, which it was not able to, and then the life of the vine is able to begin to flow. Just for your, if y'all you go to the 12-step group Friday night and tell them that, they'll be impressed. John, James. I mean, how many addicts do you know who fought and fought and fought to get sober and it didn't happen until they finally gave up and said, I am powerless to do this. God said, fine. Now we can get it done. So also in branchiness, I love that term. I'd like to write a book, branchiness. In branchiness, you've got to admit you're powerless. Just trying harder isn't going to get it done. So let me give you two questions to determine if you are trying to do the vine's job in your life, which is to produce the fruit. The first one is, why are you doing the Christian disciplines? I'm not, that's rhetorical. I'm not asking you to give me an answer because I think I know the answer for many of you. Why are you doing the Christian disciplines? You know, worship, prayer, study of the word of God, fellowship with believers, sharing Christ, all those things. Why are you doing those things? I can tell you why many of you are because you believe that is the fruit. You think that that is the fruit. Now look, I pray regularly, I study daily, I worship faithfully, look at my fruit. Wrong. That isn't fruit. Someone as separated from Christ as heaven is from hell can do all those things in their own power. That is not fruit. Their branch is bare of the fruit of Christ. Now these things can lead us to an intimacy with the, the vine that the vine can produce that fruit. But when you start looking at those things as the fruit, I'll tell you what they produce. They produce the opposite of the character of Christ. When you begin to see them as the fruit, they become religiosity. They become legalism. They become pride. They become Pharisaism. I'll tell you what they do. is They, they result in the branch stutting your stuff. I stut my stuff, man. I am some pine branch. And that is opposite of the character of Christ. That's religion. That's Pharisaism. So when you see the Christian disciplines as being the fruit and go, look at all my fruit, you just reveal you got none. Because the fruit is not the Christian disciplines. The fruit is the character of Christ. And to the extent that the disciplines are enabling you to be connected to the vine in such a way that the life of the vine is able to flow, they have value. Other than that, no good. How many of you go to the grocery store and you go over to the fruit section? I'm looking for a pretty branch. Because branches aren't pretty, are they? You strip all the grapes off of a, a branch, that's pretty ugly stuff like feet. Never saw pretty feet. I don't care, ladies. Paint them up all you want to. They ain't pretty. They got calluses. They got corns. They got bursitis. They got all kinds of stuff on them. They ain't pretty. They're not intending to be. They're functional. They get the body around. And they get squished up in those eight-inch heels. And by the time you're 30, you can't walk anymore and all that kind of stuff. No, the branch is not intended to be. No, you go and you say, well, I'm not looking for branches. I'm looking for fruit. And when you find the fruit, you don't even see the branch because it's covered up with the fruit. That's what John the baptizer meant when Jesus came on the scene. People had been following John because he preached a you know, message of repentance. And some of his disciples said, John, you've got to do something. This Jesus guy, they're all going to leave you and follow him. And he said, huh, that's what's supposed to happen. I must decrease 
and he must increase. John chapter 3, verse 30. True fruit points to the vine, not to the branch. Second of all, why, what do you do when the Father prunes you? We're asking diagnostic questions here. Why are you doing the Christian disciplines? Because you think that's fruit? Or, second of all, what do you do when the Father prunes? Because Jesus said, my Father is the vine dresser. You know what a vine dresser does. He comes along and he cuts off dead branches that don't have any fruit. And then he prunes the ones that are bearing fruit so that they'll bear more fruit. Now, pruning is painful, isn't it? But it is productive. Romans 8, 28, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are what? Call according to his what? Purpose. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined that they will be conformed to the image of his son. That's what God's up to. That's the fruit. I'm going to skip ahead. You know, it sounds trite to say that your pain will either make you bitter or it will make you better, but it's very true, isn't it? How you respond to the pruning of life and of the Father is going to determine if it makes you better or if it makes you bitter. One of the men I interviewed for the Fearless Series for Men, his name is Roddy Wright. Roddy has become a good friend of mine. And he, he, said, he said something that was so powerful. Speaking of our pain, he said, you know, we run from our pain hoping to outlive it. But when we turn and we run toward it and God meets us there with grace to process it and own it, then I find that you get to chance to write a brave new ending. You see, in our flesh, we spend our life running from our pain, trying to outlive it. And Rodney says, no, 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 no. Run toward it and embrace it and let him meet you there at that point of praying with his grace. And he and you will write a different ending. C.S. Lewis put it this way, God whispers to us in our conscience, but he screams at us in our pain. Our pain is God screaming, what are you going to do with this? Are you going to turn to me? So, three principles. I'll wrap it up. Give me five minutes and I'll finish and we'll be done. The principle of proof. That's where we're coming a full circle around here. Verse 8, he said, by this, two things happen. When you bear fruit... When you're attached to the vine, the life of the vine is flowing through you. That is being demonstrated in the fruit that's hanging on the branch. When this happens, two things happen. Jesus said, first of all, my father is glorified. You aren't glorified. My father's glorified. The branch isn't glorified. The father is glorified. Right? In this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit. And then here's the second thing. And prove to be my disciple. When you are attached to the true vine and the life of the vine is producing fruit and you're just hanging the fruit out there, which is the character of Christ, that brings glory and honor to God and you are showing and proving that you are a true follower of Jesus attached to the true vine. It's the proof of salvation. is isn't in the pudding. I kind of like me some pudding, but it's in the pudding. It's in the fruit. The proof is in the fruit. So we've come full circle back to 1 John, right? They went out from us because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have abided, there's that word, with us. They were never of us. They were never in the true vine because 
the proof of abiding was not there. So how can you know you're really in Christ? Can you know it by the Bible you carry? Even if you carry the ESV, which we love and call the elect standard version. <laughs> don't mean nothing. Just mean you had enough money to buy it. Is it told by the church you attend? Is it told by the Christian jewelry you wear? I got me some cool bling. I know, that was stupid. <laughs> I'm too old to try to say that. But I do have some cool bling. She's right back there. Does the jewelry you wear? No. It's not the jewelry you wear, but the fruit that you bear. You see what I did there? It's the fruit. It's the image of Jesus. Is that on your radar screen? You go, yeah, it is, but man, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. Okay, okay, that's okay. I love to say to people, you know, if you're in the process, the Father is pleased. Because he's not expecting perfection, perfect fruit this side of heaven. That's going to happen when we see Jesus. He just wants to know, are you in the process? Are you attached to the vine? And is my life beginning to flow through you and bring transformation at whatever level? Well, yes, Lord Jesus, then the Father's pleased. Amen. The Father's pleased. Just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. And someday when Jesus appears, he says, we're going to be like him because we're going to see him as he really is. And all of creation is going to be restored to the pre-fall condition. People, the heavens, the earth, all of it. And we get to participate in that transformation right now. It's all about abiding, folks. That's about abiding. It's not about the disciplines. It's not about any of that stuff. It's not about church attendance as important as that can be. It is about abiding in the vine. Everything else is smoke and mirrors if that's not happening. Let's pray together. Lord, we bow before you in humble submission to the beauty of your word. How you chose to inspire John even by your Holy Spirit to record your words years after you spoke them directly to him to give them for us to learn, to understand, to be convicted by, to be challenged by, but also to be encouraged by. I pray, Father, that this is a message of conviction for some of these branches that are attached to false vines, that they would come to faith in you, that they would bow their heart before you. Say, I want to be part of the real vine, which is Jesus, and I want to give my life for his life to come in me. But I also pray that it would be an encouragement from some of your people here who are having struggles, who recognize those struggles. But we also know that you want to use that for good. You want to take that pain and you want to produce the image of your son Jesus as we quit running from it and we start running toward it and allow you to meet us there in your grace. How glad we are for the stories, the miraculous stories of transformation over the years in this church and the many thousands more that are going to come in the future. Branches showing the character of Jesus. This is in our prayer. Amen. In Jesus' name. God bless you. They let the old dog out of his cage. I'm going to go back into my cage for a while.
He said, man, we can't let you out only every four or five months because we can't stand it when you come in here. It's like a guy to get a drink out of a fire hydrant. Well, that's okay. That's what happens when you retire, right? You get to build it up. God bless you. Have a great week. See ya.